welcome to My Brain is a Wonderland, a podcast for neurodivergent women and the people who love them. You're here with your host, Emily, talking about everything to do with being a woman late diagnosed with ADHD and autism. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad you're joining me here today. I wanted to talk about something that is ever-present in our life as a neurodivergent person. I think a lot. I don't want to say most, because I don't know, but I see it a lot online. People talking about how they have auditory processing issues or have been diagnosed with an auditory processing disorder on top of their neurodivergency. So I wanted to talk about that today because I'll have to check my report, actually. I don't think I was diagnosed with an auditory processing disorder. Maybe I was. It was as part of, I think, one of my diagnoses, right? That it's just part of that. But when I got my assessment where I was diagnosed with ADHD and autism, she went through my therapist, the therapist that I went to, the neuropsychologist, went through a million different things strengths, weaknesses, averages, all this kind of stuff. And one of those things was my auditory processing. And I could tell when she was testing for it because she's reading me stories. Some of them are emotional based. Some of them are factual based. And she's asking me to repeat back basically as many details as I can. And I knew in the moment that it wasn't terrible, right? I mean, I could repeat back a gist of what she said but I knew that it wasn't great. And looking back at my, I just looked back at it today. I looked back at my report and they have, you know, average is neutral, I guess. And then above average, I don't know what it's like, exceptionally average or high average, I think is what it is. Exceptional is a bit of a biased term, isn't it? So it was like uh, average, high average, And then average, low average, extreme low or extreme high or something like that. And when I looked back, my auditory processing was low average. I'm not exactly sure what the average is based on. When I was looking back at it, I was thinking, this has got to be average for neurodivergent people, right? Because we're checking, I don't know. Is it average based? What is the average? Is the average based on anyone who takes the test? Because I guess that's what it is. It's anyone who takes the test, right? Because you could be taking the test and not have an auditory processing issue. And so then you skew it higher. I'm not really sure. But I came out low average. Which didn't surprise me. But it was, when it said low, it kind of. I guess I hadn't realized how bad my auditory processing was. I mean, it's not extremely low, whatever the next one was, but it's it's low. I can't, I can remember certain things, but I can't remember a lot of things in certain contexts. And that's really frustrating. It's always been frustrating. It's always been an issue. But until I was diagnosed, I didn't actually understand that everyone wasn't going through this. That when I would just say, yeah, sure, and not actually hear what the person was saying, not everyone was doing that. That most people, if you spiel off sentences to people, they can repeat them back and understand what you were communicating 
in this knitted way. For me, I have found that unless it's kind of simple, you know, the cat sat on the mat, it's very difficult for me to keep, if it was the blue cat sat on the woven mat in the green fluffy room that had the, you've lost me, I'm done. If you said now repeat back what I just said, I'd probably say cat and mat. I'd say there was a cat on a mat. That's about as far as I could go. When I was a child, growing up, it was just me and my mom. Listen back to my old episodes so you know the context of that. It was me and my mom, and we lived in an upstairs-downstairs. So we did have stairs. We lived in what they call a masonette, and we were in a block of other masonettes, and we had an upstairs-downstairs. And my entire childhood was defined by, huh? What? Huh? All the frickin' time. I mean, constantly. My mom just, me hearing, and it wasn't that far away. You know, she's not shouting from miles away. And I would go, what? Huh? And she would always, much to my chagrin and infuriation, call back, pardon? She was doing that to tell me that instead of saying what or huh, that more polite is to say pardon, which I couldn't give a flying boop about that, but it defined part of my childhood. It was constant. She would call out to me. I'd, it would go in, right? I heard sound, but I didn't hear anything. And that could actually, that actually happens now in that someone will say something and tell me if you experience the same thing where they say, let's say, what's your favorite food on a Wednesday? And I go, what? Because I got favorite on a Wednesday. Wait, favorite food, on that's too much. What's your favorite food on a Wednesday? And especially if it comes out in a moment I don't expect where I'm not engaged in, if they're just saying, you know, what's your favorite food on a Wednesday? I might go, sorry, what? And while they are completing the next part going, What's your favorite food on a Wednesday? I might, by the time they say, what's your favorite, go, oh, it's pork. It's not pork. That just came out of my butt. Uh, whatever. It's lasagna. Whatever. By the time they are halfway through the second time saying it, my brain may have, you know, the lag, you know, computer lag might have been like, you know, winding up. Here we go. Got it. And we'll talk over people often, which drives me nuts that I do that. Ugh. And so that will often happen, that someone's asking me something or saying, demanding something, you know, do this or whatever. And I'll go, what? And as they say it back, I'm going, oh, yeah, 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 I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which frustrates them because I think it comes off like I'm not listening or, yeah, that I wasn't listening the first time which means I don't care. Classic, that's the human thing. If you're not listening, you don't care what the person is saying. And it hurts that person, especially if you do it constantly. That you're constantly just like, what? What'd you say? I wasn't listening. I'm not listening to you. And I've had to communicate to my husband after my diagnoses that it's not that I'm not listening because that frustrates him, right? That he says something and I just don't process it. If we're arguing you know, he has an issue, I have an issue, say something. I can't necessarily keep up with that 
um, oration as we go. If he's saying, you know, because we're both heightened at that point, right? We're both going, well, I feel this way. Well, I feel that way. And I'm going, wait, what did you say? And that drives him nuts if I seem like I'm not listening. So I've had to reiterate that because it seems to most neurotypical people that you're not listening. And I get that. It totally does. And it's not that. It's that I can't hear you. It's so weird to say, I am listening, but I cannot hear you. It's going in my ear, but it's just not processing. And I mean that in a way that I'm not deaf. If you go back to my first episode, I was tested for being deaf. Passed with flying colors. I'm not deaf, but I cannot hear you. In certain situations, I won't hear you. It won't go in. It just won't happen. So with all that going on and trying to be a normal child, just live life, and not realizing that I have this issue, lots of things would come up in my life. For example, I would hear things on TV. This is before the internet, right? So you can't just Google something. You can't Google anything back then. If you don't find it in a newspaper the next day, whatever, you have to listen to that TV if it's a live show just, I mean, taking notes, because there's nowhere else this information is. So I would watch TV, and uh, let's say it's live TV, and they're saying, oh, this celebrity, which I'd done before in London, I lived in London, they'd be doing interviews on morning TV and say, this celebrity is in London at this store doing a meet and greet, you know, on this date, whenever. And you have to remember that, or write it down, or have it TiVo'd, or whatever, recorded. Which actually, the one celebrity I'm thinking of, it was David Boreanaz, Angel from Buffy, thank you very much, was on a morning show when I was like 13, 14 in London, and they said he's going to be at Forbidden Planet on this day, signing autographs, you just got to line up, no ticket needed. Ended up going, freaking awesome. But what happened was, is I just happened to be, not just happened to be, I was obsessed with Buffy, obsessed with Angel, and had my VHS recorder set up for that interview because I had seen it in like, oh my gosh, like a the British version of People Magazine TV Guide or something that he was going to be on that being interviewed. That's the only way I knew and then could rewind it back. But I remember this specific incident, which sticks with me now because it drove me crazy. I couldn't figure out what happened at the time. It just drove me nuts. I was probably maybe 11 or 13, hard to say, somewhere around there. And I was watching Oprah, and she had, it was the end of her episode, and she had this Indian band it was when Bhangra went crazy, um, Slumdog Millionaire, this is like early 2000s or something, was huge. Indian culture and music had kind of exploded a bit on the global stage. And she had a band or dance group or something on there. And I'm watching it going, I gotta get this name of this band. Because you can't Google it, remember? There's no, this is an unknown group that you have to read newspapers. You just gotta find it. Maybe by O Magazine. Who the hell knows? And she called out their name. 
at the end of the performance. So they finish and you know how the host will come on stage and kind of put their arm around the main person and be like, that was so great. Remember, this is blah, 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 blah. Their album's out now, whatever. And in that moment, even as I was focused on it, because I knew this would happen, that you have to wait till the end and be like, wait, who was that? Didn't come up on TV. They didn't like scroll their name or anything. And she said the name and immediately I tried to repeat it back and I couldn't. I couldn't repeat it back. I couldn't remember it and it drove me nuts. We didn't have that recorded. I didn't care about Oprah. So that wasn't on there. And that stuck with me for decades until my diagnosis that why couldn't I say that back? And I said that to my husband before I got diagnosed, like five to eight years before. Yeah, I have this thing where I kind of can't, uh, my short term memory is funny or something. You know, I can't immediately repeat back what you said. And it drove me insane. It just, it just drove me crazy and really stuck with me, clearly. And that's really the one time where something really specific weirded me out, where I was kind of go with to do with my auditory processing, where I was like, oh, that's weird. What is that? Why can't I do that? And I knew it was an issue. Like I said, said it to my husband. But there were other issues or symptoms, coping mechanisms I used without realizing why I was using them. One of the things was that I always had the TV turned up loud. This is actually an epidemic in my household. Me, my grandmother definitely, who's neurodivergent, maybe my mom, my grandfather, it drove him crazy. He was maybe autistic, no ADHD, so loud sounds, not great for him. But either way, it was an epidemic in my household, just very loud TV and music. And that's what I used to do. I used to have the TV turned up like so high that it was booming. And I've really only realized since being with my husband that at nighttime I'll have something on or in the evening that I'm watching that I need turned up loud. And I don't even really know if I need it turned up loud because it's a processing thing, but I feel like I need it loud because I cannot hear it, even though I have no hearing issues. The next morning we'll wake up, turn that. TV on and that TV is booming in our face. Like, why is it turned up so loud? Happens every day. Husband never gets it. Every morning. Why is it so loud? Shocker. It's who you live with. Uh. So that has been a constant issue. Subtitles is another thing. And I know a lot of you out there use them. And if you don't try them, I used to use them uh, irregularly in the past, you know, when I would watch stuff on my own, I might use them. I don't even think if I consciously use them at first, just maybe I notice that having them on automatically for some things helps, so then I engage them. Well, now, every single streaming site, we don't watch TV, it's just streaming. Every single streaming site we use has captions engaged, subtitles, captions engaged. Whether they're automatic or pre-written, always, always, always. And I've found that it actually increases, of course, my understanding of everything, my enjoyment of everything, and my focus. Because if I'm watching a movie and I'm not processing anything and it's moving quickly, 
very wordy movies, right? Um, things where there's discussions where the crux of the issue is pulled apart in the movie, and I'm going, wait, what happened? And my husband's going, how did you not catch that? I've got to have subtitles on. So now with everything, everything is subtitled, no matter what. And thank you to the new world for streaming and social media for embracing that, because equality in that area, I'm not deaf, but if I was deaf, that would drive me nuts. It's bad enough now. Like, ugh. So I'm so glad that is a thing that we can engage with, and almost everywhere you can turn on subtitles if you need to. Another thing that I find super embarrassing is that when I'm in a group situation usually, because I'm rarely one-on-one with somebody, let's be honest, it's usually my husband, even with friends, I feel like one-on-one I can focus and get it there, and maybe they wouldn't say anything, I don't know. But in group situations, I often lose the thread very quickly. I remember being at a bar with some friends, acquaintances' friends, and my husband. There were maybe five, one, two, three, four, yeah, five of us total, and I lost the thread in the middle. I thought they were talking about something, and they were talking about something else, and I just lost the thread. And what comes with that is, uh, oftentimes I will say something really silly because I'll catch the end of the conversation or because I couldn't get the middle or I catch the beginning or whatever. And I say something or ask a question. And there's two ways I know. Well, it's one way they look at me. They or my husband. Because my husband, you know, we've been together for a long time, so he'll kind of nudge me and be like, dude, what? that's not at all what we're talking about. Wake up. My friends or people, you know, these could be strangers we just met or you meet someone at a bar or whatever. I don't know. Well, do people do that? I'm not sure. You know, we'll be talking and I'll say this thing and they'll look at me very quizzically or like, that's not um okay. They'll try to be polite. But it's clear, because it's not flowing, that I didn't get what was happening. I lost the plot. I lost the middle, I lost the side, I lost the end, it's done. And that makes me come off, like I said, like I don't care, like I'm not listening. If you're not listening, you don't care. That's the neurotypical thing. Which, that's fair. If someone wasn't listening to me, I'd probably jump to, they don't care. If my husband seemed like he wasn't listening, I'd be like, well, then they don't care. He doesn't care what I'm saying. When it could be a multitude of other things. And this makes socializing in a group or with new people really difficult. Or even people that I've known for a long time. I remember being with my husband and a friend of his from high school that I've known for like a decade and are very close with and comfortable with. And he was talking about his job and was blah, blah, blah. And I was like, "Uh." and then at the end I said, oh, so you're working with robots? And oh my God, the guy looked at me like, just kind of didn't just pause like, oh, that's not what I said. And my husband nudged me like, that's not what we're talking about, dude. And I'm like, And this was before I was diagnosed, so then it seemed like I was just an ass face, right? And it was just like, oh, what were we talking about? And people hate that. FYI, people hate it. 
when they explain something very clearly and explicitly, and then you say, oh, what do you mean? Because they feel like you weren't listening. And there's not really any, if they've broken it down, what else are they going to say? So when I was diagnosed, it made me very self-aware. Which I loved. This has radically changed my life, getting diagnosed, because I could identify the symptoms that I'd never even considered before. Internalize that and think, okay, where does that come from? Why do I do it? Accept it. Forgive yourself for doing what you did, even if you don't like what you did, and try to change it or move on or apologize for it. Sometimes you can't change it, right? Like Lisa, we're talking about cognitive things. Sometimes you cannot change it, but you do want to apologize for it if it inadvertently hurts somebody's feelings. And just say, look, I didn't mean to do that. And I'm so sorry. But when I was diagnosed, I realized how much I was masking in public for this auditory processing issue. It used to be, and I still do it sometimes, but I don't really do it now, unless it's important. But it used to be that I would go back and forth maybe two or three times, right? Someone says, and I go, what did you say? One more time. I'm sorry, say that again. By definitely by the third one, maybe by the second, they're going, why are you asking me if you're not focusing on what I'm saying? And this would happen mostly in close quarters, either with a boss or my spouse, where I'm going, wait, say that one more time. And they're like, well, why? You're asking me to say it again. You're listening, aren't you? Why aren't you freaking hearing it? And now what I'll do with my husband is, we're often in separate rooms when this happens. If I hear him and I'm like, oh, I can't hear you, I start to walk towards where he is. Because the volume sometimes I think helps with enunciation, but also I'm just trying to get to his face so I can see his mouth. And then I look him in the eye and go, I'm so sorry, one more time, please. So he knows that I am sincerely listening, I'm focused, I'm just struggling in that moment. But now I don't even bother. I do with him, because it could be important, or say it was my boss, but it's not like someone shouting across the office to me or anything. Otherwise, I don't even bother. If someone says something to me, I usually go, oh, great, yeah. I usually honestly judge off of the context and their facial expressions. This is what I've realized, their body language. If someone walks in, let's say I'll use an example, Thanksgiving, because it just went by, holidays. You're there, someone walks in from family, and it's just chaotic, and you're not sure what they're saying. They're saying, hello, good to see you, but how are you doing, blah, blah, blah. I just go, oh, yay, yes, great, uh-huh, mm-hmm, totally, oh, so true. Yeah, it's, I don't even bother. I can't be bothered because I don't need to hear all of your babble or if someone is talking, and I do care what you say, but if you said something like, man, yeah, it's crazy how great oranges are, I just pulled that out of my butt. 
What am I going to say? Oh, sorry, say that again. It's crazy how, you know, oranges are. Sorry, say that again. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I do not want to put myself in that position constantly just to understand you. I can't. It is so stressful and energy consuming. I don't care. So I just kind of, if I can tell, it's peripheral, not important, fluffy. I'll just kind of be like, yeah, huh? Yep, great. Okay. Yeah, sure. Dinner's in there. You know, or like, oh, great. Yeah, I'm going to the bathroom. Whatever. But like I said, I didn't really realize until I was diagnosed how much I did this and how much I masked. But there is, oh my gosh, maybe three months, two to three months, maybe less than that, after I was diagnosed, I went mall shopping with my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law. It's a regular thing we do. And this was maybe a year after lockdown. So when we went to the mall, they had all of these rules, right? So if you were going to a store, you could only have a certain amount of people in there and they made you line up outside. So we line up outside of Victoria's Secret and we get to the front of the line and there's a woman at the front who works there, right? Giving you the spiel. I'm in front. It's classic. I like to take control, which is funny because I can't process what people are saying. So why am I taking control? I don't know. So I'm in control. I'm in the front and this woman just starts talking at me. Just blah, 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 blah. I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't hear anything she said. Literally nothing. I didn't process anything. But my brain put the things together, you know, linked it together and said, well, she's obviously saying keep six feet apart. Uh, Don't touch a bunch of stuff. Don't talk to anybody. Don't touch anybody. You have to wear your mask, blah, blah, blah. She just does this spiel and, you know, it's like, gives a thumbs up. And I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Smiley face. Uh Ah, turn back to my mother-in-law and sister-in-law. And they go, oh, what did she say? And I go, I don't know. And they burst out laughing. Like, you just faked that? Like, looking back, they didn't say that. But looking back, that's what they were thinking. They were like, you seem so engaged. And I remember thinking, that's how I always am. Are you not? Wait, do you, when you're fully engaged, you process and hear everything? Like if you, it's really interesting for me. I wish I could have time traveled, put my sister-in-law or mother-in-law in that position, and then said, what did she say? And I can almost guarantee they would have said, she said to wear your mask and blah, blah, blah. I didn't get any of that and just kind of inferred from what I know socioculturally, right? That that's probably what she's saying. It's not rocket science. Keep your distance, keep your mask on, don't touch touch a bunch of stuff. And in that moment, I realized how much I don't process and how much I mask that when people are talking, especially in fluffy situations where it's not serious or it's a public situation, I just go, yeah, uh uh-huh. And I'm wondering how many times someone said, hey, what do you think of this? And I go, yeah, uh uh-huh. That's not a correct response. I have no idea. I mean, it just all of a sudden was like, oh my God, I do this everywhere. I just go, yeah, uh uh-huh. And I have no idea what they're saying. 
Thankfully to that woman, she thought I got it, right? She was paid not a lot to work there in retail, was like, this is my job. Okay, you say yes, you can go in. But in a lot of situations, I come off as uncaring, unaware, unattentive, stupid, right? Like, how did you not get that from what I just said? It's just super frustrating. And there are some things, mostly technology, that I've started to use. I haven't stopped masking. I don't care. I don't want to hear. I don't want to have to say to that woman at Victoria's Secret, hey, can you repeat that again? Yeah, one more time. Could you write that down? No one cares. She doesn't care. I don't care. But here's what I will tell you if you are trying to mitigate these issues. And this is mostly for the workplace, but I'm sure could translate to your personal life and area, depending on what you do and what your life is like. But I'll tell you now, Microsoft Teams, which is what I use at work, which is the video calling like Zoom, but Microsoft Teams is actually more secure than Zoom. Microsoft Teams has a built-in auto-captioner. I'm not sure where it is. I do know, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Google it. There's a little, you know, where you can blur your face, put in backgrounds, do all kinds of things, share your screen. If you click up in the top right corner, there's something to do with putting in closed captions. And this has helped me a lot because at work, we might have a meeting and they expect you, there's no follow-up email, right? They expect you to know what they said, write it down, be attentive, know what's happening, even though there's no meeting minutes. Which let me tell you, if you have auditory processing issues, don't ever take meeting minutes or do dictation. I cannot and have never been able to do that, so don't do that, FYI. And for Zoom, I know that you can use something called Captioner. This is literally from my hard-of-hearing sister-in-law. She said Captioner is what people use for Zoom. So if you're using Zoom, look into that. If you're on your phone, making phone calls, right, which, oh my gosh, nightmare, what you can do is use certain captioning software. Look into something called Dragon Dictate. I actually haven't used this, but again, my hard-of-hearing sister-in-law recommended it for phone calls and meetings and that kind of thing. Look into that and just Google free, you know, captioning software cell phone. That could potentially change your life if you have a heavy phone call situation at work or in the home. If you have kids, you know, and the school calls you calls you a lot, that can be annoying. And then the last thing I would say is get everything in writing. I've had to train people I work with to do this. When I first started at um, my new position, there was someone who would call me constantly. I mean, just call me constantly to talk about these certain things. And I would say to them, okay, this is great. We've talked about this. But now you need to put this in an email. You need to recap this and put this in an email so we have a recording. There's two things with this. One is that anything you forgot is in the email, right? If it's truly, really being recapped, you have it to record. And second, it's just liability. This isn't to do with auditory pro- Well, it is a little bit to do with auditory processing. If you don't hear something on a phone call, 
and they put it in the email, you've captured it, right? If you didn't process it in the phone call, it's there. If you didn't process it in the phone call and they didn't put it in the email, well, then it's not done. And that's what I say to people. Okay, we're gonna, you're gonna have to follow this up with an email. Or if I instigate the meeting, I'll follow you up with an email to confirm everything we said. Please read it and go back over. It protects you. It allows you to have something to refer to that's full and clear and makes your life just way easier. So if you want to reach out to me and talk about any of this stuff, feel free to look at my show notes. There's a bunch of contact information in there. And if you've been listening regularly, which I see on my analytics, a bunch of you are, if you haven't left a review yet, please do. It helps to boost my vision on all of the podcast apps, helps to get me out there to more people, and just makes me feel good. If you're listening on Spotify, it's super easy. Just scroll to the top, click on rating, five stars, and you're done. I'm not sure about the other apps. I know Apple you can review, but I would really appreciate it. If you give a positive review on wherever you're listening, because it will help to reach other people and get us where we want to be. I want this to be a podcast that reaches a lot of people and helps people realize their strength, their power, their vulnerability, their self-awareness. I just want people to connect. Thank you. And with that, I want to say, have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you again on my Brain is a Wonderland pod. Bye-bye.